You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. This week's sermon is taught by lead pastor Benjamin Emery. Good morning, everyone. It is great to see you, great to be here with you, and um, we've got some light and fluffy God's Word to go through today. No, we've got some good, solid food that God has given us today to go through. Challenging food, but good food. And so I encourage you to pick up your Bibles or pick up the one in front of you, turn to Jude, uh, the most, probably the most underread book in the New Testament. Turn to chapter one, the only chapter in the book, turn to verse 5, and we're going to be in verses 5 to 19 today. And as you're turning there, I'm just going to pray, God help uh, me, a simple man, to, to talk about uh, your warnings. Uh, to, uh, you warn because you love. If you didn't warn, um, it would mean you didn't care about us. But you warn us because you love us like a good father. Uh, who desires his church uh, to be protected and to thrive and to be healthy. You love us. So, God, open our hearts. Uh, let us uh, have eyes that can see what's going around around us in the world, in, inside of many churches today. And, Lord, I just pray that you would bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you were... Uh, here, when I got here eight years ago, um, you would know that we were, this church was a CBOQ church, meaning uh, Canadian Baptist of Ontario and Quebec. It's a denomination, um, and uh, a once a really strong denomination in uh, the Word of God. Um, and when I became a CBOQ pastor, I was ordained, and during the orda- ordination, you uh, you get have an exam, uh, you uh, get quizzed, um, and grilled by your peers, and you write some essays, and, and so on and so forth, and then you, uh, you proclaim that you promise to uh, adhere to the Word of God as your, as your instructions for all of life and faith, and to protect the church um, from uh, false uh, teachers, and uh, so on and so forth, and, and you really uh, uh, promise to hold each other accountable, and, and that was good, um, but you also find out that not everyone who says uh, that promise, who makes that promise, actually means that promise. And that some people who, who once believed that uh, can actually be led astray. And that's what Jude is warning us today. That there's some people uh, uh, who came into your midst. Um, they said they believed one thing, but they really didn't. And they've been slowly, subtly, stealthily leading you away from the, the true message once and all delivered to the people, to the saints, by the apostles. And so now he's going to go on to give us some examples. Um, verse 4, just recapping, he says, for some, of you, uh, were desin- for some people who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth. They are ungodly, turning the grace of our God into sensuality and denying the Lord Jesus, our only master and Lord. And then he says, now I remind you. Remind you of what? Remind you of the things of the past, uh, the times that this has happened, the very same things that are playing out happened before. 
He's not reminding them of or teaching them something new, but he's simply reminding them of the stories they already knew. Some of them had, had maybe forgotten. Uh, June's not concerned with the things that a lot of pastors in our day are concerned with, about being relevant or being trendy or, or filling the church uh, with, with lots of people who will give them a raise so they can get their book deal so they can be on the radio. No, no, he's not concerned about that. He's concerned with the church's health. He's concerned with the truth. He's concerned about God's name. He's concerned of the consequences, the judgment that God will bring upon the church if the church allows this false teaching to spread. He's a man of conviction. And he knows that something is going on. Some people are using the grace of God as a license to just do what they want, to sin. And so he's going to give them examples. And history is a great teacher. Those of you who have been under my preaching have heard me quote Churchill many times, uh, one of my favorite quotes. Uh, Those who don't learn from history are bound to repeat it. And isn't that so true? Humans always think this time will be different. This time I'll bend the rules. This time I'll take a shortcut and it will be different than it turned out for all those other people. Just this time I can get away with it. I remember when I was in Victoria and we were on this course, uh, we were on this reconnaissance course and we were um, doing navigation and we uh, spent three months in BC and Victoria, if you've been to Victoria Island, like deep in it, you know that 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 bush is some nasty bush. Uh, Like it it is full of all sorts of hard terrain. And so um, we would be in groups of four and we'd be navigating. That was the main reason we were there, navigating through hard territory. And, and, the leader that day decided to take a shortcut uh, that he thought would lead um, to an easier ground. And so we found ourselves amongst thorns, amongst thistles, like wading through the worst kind of territory, getting cut up, your legs cut up. And, and, and so we stopped to have this little meeting. Why are we going through this? Well, it's a shortcut. See on the map, if we just go through this little bit, just a little bit longer, it'll lead uh, to the place we want to go. No, I don't think we should go there. But he was the leader, and so, so he went, and he kept on going. Instead of turning around and going back and, and realizing, well, maybe I made a mistake, no, forward. And it, we came out lost. And isn't that the way humanity often ends up? We take some shortcuts instead of humbling ourselves and saying, you know what, probably the wrong thing. I should go back. No, forward on, and we come out a lost, broken group of people. And so Judah's going to give them some examples. Some are from the Old Testament, and some are what we would call extra-biblical sources. Historical documents that the Jews knew, that the first century people knew, some of which we have copies of and some of which we don't. Not uh, the ordained, authoritative Word of God that we have in the Bible, but documents that help them uh, to understand what God has done in the world and what He's going to do in the future. All of His examples are about rebellion. Rebellion against authority. Whose authority? God's authority. And where that rebellion led. Time after time, example after example, he gives them. So he says, I remind you. 
Although you came to know these things once and for all, that Jesus saved a people out of Egypt and later destroyed those who did not believe. Again, uh, these are stories that these people would have known very well. You and I, uh, we have to, to do a little bit of research. So I've given you lots of references throughout your bulletin. I encourage you to go read those so that you can know the Word of God better. I don't have time to go into each one of them today. But he is referencing the Israelites, um, the, which we read about in Numbers 14. Uh, you read about Exodus and, and Numbers and Deuteronomy. God brought the Israelites out of slavery, out of bondage. He had promised them long ago that he would deliver them to a promised land, uh, to salvation. And they came out and they saw the mighty hand of God. They, they heard the works. They saw the works of God's hand. And yet, all the way through their, their journey to the promised land, they were constantly doubting God. God's not going to be faithful this time. He might have been in the past, but not this time. He's not worthy of trusting, and so on and so forth. And until he comes to the promised land and he says, send out some spies, and they send out 12 spies. You know the story. And they come back. And they say, what's the land like? Oh, the land is amazing. It's everything God said it was going to be, but we can't go in. It's, there's giants there. It's too scary. It's too much. Even for God, he can't handle it. And so we should just stay here and die or go back. And, and they rebelled through their unfaithfulness consistently, continually, they didn't believe God was who he said he was. God was a liar. We read a bit about their response after the spies give their feedback. Two of the spies said, let's go. Ten of the spies said, no, we shouldn't. Numbers 14, verse 1. Then the whole community broke into loud cries, and they wept that night. And all the Israelites complained about Moses and Aaron. The whole community told them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if we had died in the wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us into the land by the sword? Our wives and our children will become plunder. Wouldn't it be better if we just went back to Egypt? So they said to one another, let's just appoint a new leader and go back to Egypt. And that was the final straw for God. Enough. Eventually, the character of God, he's loving, he's mercy, he's, he's full of grace. But here's the character of God. Eventually, he says, enough. And in verse 22, we see his response. He says, none of the men who have seen my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and in the wilderness and have tested me these ten times and did not obey me will ever see the land I swore to give their ancestors. None of those who despised me will see it. Here's the reality. These men were all a part of, men and women were a part of the nation of Israel. They had the promise. They had the inheritance. Yet they did not get to receive that inheritance because of their lack of faith. Their lack of faith was like spitting in God's face. I don't believe you are who you say you are and that you're trustworthy. And the reality is, is that we can go to church. We can come from a Christian family, but unless we believe by faith, we will never experience the salvation and freedom and the promises that come from God. It is rebellion to not just mess up. We all struggle with unbelief, but to say, God, you are not trustworthy and continually say, I will make a different way. I will be determine the way to go. No, faith is what God looks for. You must receive salvation through faith and faith alone. Uh, but the, the, the reality, the reaction of faith is action in obedience. 
That's how you show your faith. I believe, therefore I will do what God has said. Obedience. It's, it's hard. We can admit it. None of us do it perfectly. Uh, but a life that says, I desire to do what God says because God is good. Uh, Jesus said that, that there's going to be a group of people that come to Jesus on the, the day of judgment, when we will all stand before God. And, and these people are going to look the part. They're going to sound the part. They're going to be religious. They're going to have gone to church. They're going to say, Lord, Lord, did I not prophesy in your name? Did I not cast out demons in your name? Uh, but I will say to them, Jesus says, away from me. What's the qualification? You workers of iniquity or evil. You disobedient people that constantly decided to do differently than what I asked you. So those Israelites rebelled through unbelief. Next, verse 6, and the angels did not keep their own position, but abandoned their proper dwelling. He has kept in eternal chains in deep darkness for the judgment on that great day. That great day is the final day when Jesus comes back. These rebellious angels is referring to uh, Genesis chapter 6, Uh, Verses 1 to 4, I'll just read a little bit of it for you. They rebelled through the perversion of what was natural. When mankind began to multiply on the earth and the daughters were were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of man mankind were beautiful and they took them and chose them for themselves the lord said my spirit will not remain on these on human on mankind forever because they are corrupt their days will be 120 the nephrimin were on the earth both in those days and afterwards when the sons of god came to the daughters of mankind and bore them children they were powerful men of old famous men So them, being the angels, they left the proper place, their assigned place, uh, and decided that they were going to do things contrary to what God had told them. They bucked against God's authority and determined they knew better. They saw, they desired, and angels have the choice as humans. Animals act off instinct. Uh, Humans and angels both have choice, and so they chose to rebel against God, to please their flesh. And now you might have a couple of responses. Maybe you're you're not a Christian or or you're a Christian and you're in here and you're saying, I don't believe in that rubbish. I don't believe in this nonsense of angels and and demons. Maybe you don't believe. I don't believe there's a God. This is nonsense. I only believe what I can see and what I can prove. That's what I believe in. Often... I found that people who say they don't believe in a God, it's not that they don't really, when you get down to it, believe that someone, some being had to make all of this. It's that they don't want to be under the authority of that God. Because those same people will easily believe that all of this, the children, The men and women walking our streets, the dogs, the cats, the birds, uh, the elephants, that everything came from a glob of goo. And that out of that goo, everything came. Even though we can't prove it, we've never seen uh, one species uh, evolve into a new species. We have no video footage. The, the, The millions and billions and billions of fossils that would be needed for those slight changes, they're not there 
But because that means they don't have to be under anyone's authority, that man is the authority, that's much easier to believe in their minds. Or maybe you're a Christian and you're like, okay, I believe the Word of God, but this is, makes me uncomfortable. I really don't like this because this is weird. Angels, humans, giants, like just can't we just ignore this? Can't we just take the parts of the Bible that we really want and are comfortable with and, and then move on? And the reality is no, we can't. Not if we believe in the whole counsel of God. We can't pick and choose the things that are comfortable. Fact, the Bible says the angels rebelled by abusing their given power to do what they wanted to do. Jude is saying this happened, and Jude is saying it's happening again. Men and women uh, are going out of their proper given place and, and trading in what is natural and normal for what is unnatural, for what is not what God desires. They had a privileged position, but they perverted it for their own personal use. And God's warning, Jude's warning, is that God will only allow it to happen. If God was willing to punish the angels, then God will punish men and women. He will bring the hammer down. To borrow the words of Johnny Cash, God is going to cut you down eventually. He will only be mocked for so long. And so let us never uh, go out of the proper given positions that we have and, and pervert what God has said is good. Number three, third group, verse seven. Likewise, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns committed sexual immorality and perversions and serve and as example by undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. I don't need to read you the stories. Uh, there's children around, but you can read them, and I encourage you to in Genesis chapter 18 and, and 19. These rebellious men of Sodom and Gomorrah. Genesis 13, 13 kind of summarizes them. It says, now the men of Sodom were evil, sinning immensely against the Lord. The, these men... They knew what was natural, what was good, what, what God had laid out. And they said, you know what? We're going to do the opposite. Because we don't want to be under God's authority. We will determine what we want to do. And we're not just going to do it quietly. And no, we're going to oppose everything God has set up as good. And we're going to parade it in your face, God. And we're going to plaster it on every billboard, God. And we're going to intertwine it in every story we tell, God. And you can't bring your laws into our schools and, and indoctrinate our children. You have no right to impose your views on us, God. We will tell our children what is. We will decide what story hour will be at our schools. We will tell the toddlers that they can be whatever they desire to be. And if you don't agree with us, you better watch out because we are not going to sit silent. I, we won't even let you disagree with us nicely. We won't even have a discussion. And if you read the story of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, you see violence and aggression. There was no room to not participate. It was all about authority. Who is God to tell me what I can and can't do? And, and is that not the story in our culture, who is God to tell me what I can and can't do with my body? 
It's all about authority. But the reality is, is that, that we don't want to be under God's authority. Because if God is the ultimate authority, if He is the creator, then He is the authority. And if we go with that logic that God has no right to tell me what to do, then nobody has a right to tell you what to do. You don't have a right to tell your children what to do. You don't have a right if you're a teacher to tell a student what to do. You don't have a right if you're a police officer to tell a citizen what to do. If we go by the logic of that argument, everyone should just do what they see fit in their own eyes. But then we have anarchy. Then we have judges. Then we have some of the countries that none of us want to live in the world where there is no moral laws. No, the only laws that are perfect come from the ultimate authority, and that is God. And, and we can see the problems of the world, and we can know that if, if we as humans would just choose to do things God's way, those things wouldn't be there. There wouldn't be murder. There wouldn't be rape. There wouldn't be children living in poverty. Uh, there wouldn't be theft. There wouldn't be war. None of these things would be there. We can see that, ah, God's principles are good, but ah, I just can't bring myself to follow those ones that I don't like. And so the hot mess of the world continues on for a time. So because of their the rebellion, the Israelites lost their inheritance. And because of their rebellion, the angels lost their position. And because of their rebellion, Sodom and Gomorrah lost their cities. Short-term gain, they thought, but it led to long-term pain. And that's always what rebellion will bring. We'll skip down for time's sake and we'll shift from uh, groups uh, of people that rebelled against God to some individual people that not only rebelled against God, but then they corrupted a whole bunch of other people and led them astray. Uh, Jude shifts a bit, still on the topic of rebellion, uh, but he gives us lots of different references. And now I encourage you, again, uh, to go in your own time and read these and get some commentaries and, and, and look at the references I've given you. Read them over yourself. Uh, becoming a mature Christian is a process. Sometimes people will say to me, I don't know how to read the Bible and teach other people. I've been going to church for 30, 40, 50 years, but I still don't know how to talk to people about my faith. And, and I would, in a gently kind way, say to you, are you participating in the process? Are you at reading the Word of God? Are you studying it for yourself? Because if God can, can, can give me the ability to understand it, He can give you the ability but it takes your participation. At, uh, all of your children at one point, all of my children, they couldn't eat food on their own, right? And so you'd cut their food up for them at the, at the table and they'd use their hands. And, and, but eventually, like, enough of this. It's time for you to start eating yourself. And so I don't know about you, but with my kids, I, I would take their hands and I'd, I'd put my hand over their hand and, and I'd actually go through the process of, of showing them how it goes, how you cut up the food and the knife would go flying and then you'd take it back again. Then food would go flying, but you slowly over the process, you teach them and then you take away your hands and eventually they're eating on their own. That should be the Christian life. You're not being fed all your life, spoon-fed by somebody else, but eventually you can take the Word of God, cut it up, uh, handle it, feed it to people properly. And so I encourage you to do study on these passages on your own. Verse 11, he says, Woe to them, for they have gone the way of Cain. He's still talking about these leaders who have crept in. Rebellious Canaan. We all know the story, or if you've been going to church for a while, you have, you've heard of Cain and Abel, the, the sons of uh, Adam and Eve. 
that they brought their offerings to God and, and God uh, received Abel's offering and he rejected Cain's. And, and we might at first glance say, ah, oh, poor Cain. God didn't like what he brought. But we're missing the point. The point is he didn't reject the offering specifically for what it was, but he rejected it because of the rebellious heart that was behind the offering. And John, the apostle, gives us a little glimpse into the heart of Cain. In 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, uh, he, he's encouraging the believers uh, to walk holy and righteous for the Lord. And he says, unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Why did God reject Cain's sacrifice? Because he saw the heart. And God has clearly made it. Like he, he said to us in many places in Scripture, if you come to my table, if you come and bring your offering, but you've, you've got e hatred towards your brother, put it down and go make it right with that person. If you've got unrepented sin, uh, confess it. Uh, God is all about us coming with a clean heart, with an honest heart, and being real with each other. He would rather us be real uh, and be genuine and, and repent than us look the part but not actually be the part. And so we see after uh, God judges Cain, it says in Genesis 3.16, Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, far from east of Eden. And he purposely went away from the presence of God. Cain was the first of many things. He was the first murderer. Uh, he was the first to raise a family with no knowledge of who God was. He was the first to, to, to build a city and then to build a godless city, a city that had no understanding of who God is. Uh, the first to start polygamy. And, and a generations and generations of polygamy came from his generation. Uh, he desired to create a place where there was no traces of God, where God was erased, where God was completely removed, where children would grow up and never hear that they were created with a purpose, that there is a God who has given moral laws, that, that God desires relationship with them. It reminds me of a time when I was a child and uh, I can remember this assembly. I was probably grade two, grade three, maybe grade one. I was trying to remember. Um, but we had this vice principal, and, he, and I always remember him because he was bald. And like bald, his head shone like a, like a cue ball that's been shining up. So I always remember when I'd see him coming. Um, and, and he was retiring, and so they were having an a assembly, a surprise assembly to honor him. And, and, and so... What they had us do is practice his favorite song in our classrooms quietly, and then we're going to sing it to him um, as a group. And I can still remember the song. It goes like this. Imagine there is no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. And nothing to kill or die for. No religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. The dream of Cain lived out when John Lennon wrote that song in the 70s, 72. Imagine a place with no more God. 
Wouldn't it be wonderful? How's that working out? How's that going for the West? And to add to that, imagine a place where there is no gender, no traditional family, no right or wrong, no authority to just imagine how great that would be. Then Jude goes on to say, they have plunged into Balaam's error for profit. For profit. Uh, who was Balaam? Uh, well, you can read about him in Numbers 22 to 25. He was a religious guy. He's a guy who knew God. He'd seen God's works. He knew the power of God. And the Israelites were, were coming through. And the Moabites, uh, they wanted to destroy the Israelites. But every time they'd meet them in battle, wouldn't happen. They were unbeatable. And so they come to Balaam and they say, how do we beat this guy? Curse these people. Or how do we beat this nation? And Balaam says, you can't do it because the God who created everything is protecting them. And, and so they say, well, what about if we offer you buckets of money and you just tell us if there's a weakness? And Balaam goes away at first, but then he thinks about it. Well, maybe I can still be God's man, but I can get rich too. Maybe I can outsmart God. And it isn't until... Uh, Chapter 31 of Numbers, verse 16, that we find out it was actually Balaam uh, who provided the Moabites with the ability uh, to take down the Israelites. And that was, send your most beautiful women, seduce the Israelites, and get them into sexual immorality, and God will take his hand away. Balaam's error was not just some, oh, by accident I made an error. No, it was an error thinking he was smarter than God. And there are leaders that stand up in pulpits and lead denominations that think they're smarter than God, that for profit, they can twist the words of God, they can spread lies and think, I'm going to get rich and I can still be in right standing with God, but not so. Revelation 2, 14, Jesus even references Balaam. He says to the church in Pergamum, but I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold to the teachings of Balaam, who taught Balak to place a stumbling block in front of the Israelites, to eat meat, sacrifice to idols, and commit sexual immorality. And they perished, Jude goes on to say, in Korah's rebellion. He's giving example after example of rebellion, that this never works out good. He's saying, wake up, church. This isn't going to end well. Well, who's Korah? Uh, he's a guy uh, that in that first story, after the Israelites had been told, most of you are never going to see the promised land because of your unbelief. Well, the people got angry. They weren't willing uh, to just sit around and take God's judgment. So number 16 tells us of this guy, Korah, and about 250 other leaders, they're like, enough of this. You're done, Moses. You're done, Aaron. I don't care what you've done in the past. I don't care how well you've led us. You've crossed the line. Who are you to tell us we can't do what we want to do and not get God's blessing? You're finished. And so a civil war, a little mini civil war took place, uh, and, and they made sides, and, and Aaron and Moses were aside with God, and, and Korah and his men uh, thought they were on God's side. But God came and brought judgment on Korah and ended that rebellion. And right now, there's lines being drawn, church lines being drawn denominational lines being drawn that say, uh, you may say that, uh, that you honor this word of God, but you know what? We don't believe in that nonsense anymore. And you're done as the church. We're this new church, and, and we're drawing the lines in the sand. And we're going to do what we want to do, but it never ends 
well. It never ends well. That's the thing. Never in the history has it ended well and never will it end well. Every generation has this group that thinks they can lead the people into some new version of Christianity. Charles Spurgeon uh, dealt with the same sort of thing, uh, rebellion against God's word, and it came from inside the church. He said this uh, in the 18th century, these destroyers of the churches, they appear to be as content in their work as monkeys in their mischief. That which their fathers would have lamented, they rejoice in. He says, avid atheists, or sorry, vowed atheists are not a tenth as dangerous as those preachers who scatter doubt and stab at the faith. So together, these three examples, they highlight greed, rebellion, immorality, jealousy, and selfish ambition. All things that lead people astray. And he goes on to say, Jude does, that the, these people are dangerous reefs. At your love feast, they eat without, without reverence. They are shepherds who only look out for themselves. They are waterless clouds carried along by winds. They are trees in late autumn, fruitless, twice dead and uprooted. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shameful deeds, wandering stars for whom the blackness of darkness is reserved forever. Some pretty vivid imagery, and, and Judas drawing from Scripture. What's he saying? And I've given you some references in your, your handouts. He's saying, these people, they're like reefs uh, hidden below the surface that shipwreck people's faith. He's saying, these leaders, they're only out for their own personal gain. He's saying that they may look the part, they may sound the part, but in their lives, what they produce out of their lives is nothing of spiritual value. He's saying their lives are like the waves. You know, the waves, when they beat against the, the shore, they stir up muck and mire. And these people's lives, they just stir up controversy and strife and, and all of this garbage. And he says you can't follow them because they're like, they're like shooting a bearing on a star that's moving. Uh, how do you go towards a heading when the heading is constantly moving? They, you need a fixed position if you're going to shoot a heading. And there's only one fixed position. There's only one fixed leader, and that's Jesus Christ. And he's given us his word. It's the direction to go. But these leaders have crept in. They're educated. They're charismatic. Uh, they're personable. They're nice people, some of them. But they're liars. And unless we are willing to humble ourselves, we will be deceived by them. I want you to think back. Just think back to the promises that many of these leaders 50 years ago, let's go back to 1973, the, the leaders of, of the nation, the leaders of the denominations, these promises they made, let's take God out of everything, slowly, out of government, out of schools, uh, let's take his word out of the churches as the authority, uh, let's take his moral laws away, let's take it away, and here's the promise, you'll be more prosperous than ever, you'll be more free than ever. You'll be more healthy and unified. You'll be more hopeful for the future if you just get these silly laws of God out of the way. Get God out of the way. Well, here we are 50 years later, and I put to you, how is that working out? Think about this with maturity. Are we more prosperous than they were in the 70s? Now, are we freer than they were in the 70s? Are we more healthy spiritually, mentally, physically? Are we more unified as a people? Are we more hopeful for the future? 
I think even if you don't believe, you can say, no, we're not. We're coming apart at the seams. The West, which used to believe and no longer does, is unraveling before our eyes. And you would think that these leaders now, in, in churches and out churches, they might stop and say, things aren't working out too well. Maybe we need to turn around and look back. And not that everything was done perfectly there, but maybe we need to, to go back to what worked before. No. They say, onward. Let's double down. We're going all the way, even if it takes us off of a cliff. In an article done by Global News, uh, an investigative uh, piece done called Gone by 2040. You can look it up. It was written a little less than a year ago. Uh, they were um, reporting on the decline of Christianity in Canada and, and the Christian faith specifically. And they report that Hinduism, uh, Islam, uh, and Buddhism are all growing in Canada uh, because of immigration. Immigrants coming to Canada, Christian immigrants are growing. Orthodox churches are growing. But white Canadian-born Christians, uh, white Canadian-born uh, people are the group with the highest uh, demographic that are turning away from faith. They report the number one dying denomination is the United Church, Protestant. They say, and I quote, nowadays, on average, the United Church loses one church per year across Canada and is expected to accelerate now, with their presence pretty much gone by 2040. Now, you might say, what do you do? But if you understood how the United Church started in, in the early 20th century, they formed, they united. A number of uh, churches broke away from their liberal, non-Bible-believing uh, denominations and formed the United Church, a church that was going to stand for the authority of God and hold Christ's name up high. But somewhere along the way, leaders crept in that decided, no, actually, that's not the way we're going to go. And you would think that those leaders who read this and know that a church is closing every single week and they've got less than two decades left, might say, maybe we need to stop and make some changes. But no, they are full on. Let's keep going the way we're going, even if it destroys our denomination. Why? Because they're false teachers. They're not believers. They're not really followers of Christ. And the, the biggest enemy to the Canadian church is bad Christians. People who pose as Christians. John Calvin knew this. John Calvin was thrown out of his church in Geneva. Uh, and then they begged him to come back a few years later. And so he, he comes back, and this is his first day. He says, and I quote, If you desire to have me as your pastor, then correct the disorder of your lives. If you have sincerely recalled me out of exile, then banish the debaucheries that prevail among you. For I consider the principal enemy of the gospel and the church to be bad Christians. For what use is dead faith without good works? And what importance is truth where wicked lives overwhelm it? And so Jude's warning is, learn from history. Don't follow these false teachers. It's not going to go anywhere well. Don't rebel against the Lord. It always ends poorly. And then verse 17, he goes on to encourage the believers. But you, dear friends, 
Remember what was predicted by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They told you in the end times there will be scoffers living according to their own ungodly desires. These people will create divisions in our worldly, not having the spirit. So how do we conclude this message? You're like, yikers, jikers. I wish I hadn't shown up for church today. This is some heavy stuff. And I'm sorry, yeah, it is heavy, but I didn't write the Bible. I just preached the Bible. And so you have to take it up with God. But the reality is God cares about his people. So he warns us. His warnings are good. They're uncomfortable, especially in the day in which we live, right? Not politically correct. This is pushing against the cultural narrative being taught, but it's still the truth. And if we have open eyes, I think we can still see that it's true. And so how can we close on a positive note? Well, let's close with Timothy's uh, warning and then encouragement, uh, sorry, Paul's warning and encouragement to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. He says, in the end times, evil, and, evil people and impostors will become worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed. So church, what is our response? As, as we know, there are false leaders. Uh, there, there are reefs uh, that, that people are shipwrecking their faith. Stay away from them. Stay away from the reefs and stick with Jesus. Don't be deceived by them. If we know they're waterless clouds, uh, pretending that they're going to provide nourishment but produce nothing, stay away from them. Stay with Jesus, the, the tree of life, the bread of life. Uh, uh, Bind yourself to the vine with deep roots who will produce in you good spiritual fruit. If you know they're wandering stars and their opinion uh, on what is truth changes as culture changes, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Uh, Jesus is a fixed point. Uh, he, he, is, he is the one who will never change. He is the way, the truth, and the life, the same yesterday, today, and forever. And navigate by Him, for He is the light of the world. And that is our encouragement. Stick with Jesus. Stick with the truth. Don't listen to the false shepherds who only look after themselves, but stay with the good shepherd who laid down his life for his people. On that note, let's pray, and then we're going to go and baptize some people. God, thank you for this hard truth, this hard food, but this nourishing food. God, I don't think any of us want to get to the end of our lives or get to a period in our lives where our lives are a disaster. And we look back and we say, ugh, I wish I hadn't listened to that lie. God, I pray we would have open ears. Maybe some of us are down that road. I pray we would know it's never too late. As long as we have life and breath, we can turn back. We don't have to keep going forward just because we started down this route. We can turn back to the truth. The truth will set us free. And Lord, I pray for our country. I, I don't want to see it go down this disastrous road that it's on. I pray for the United Church. I don't want to see uh, all of the faith being shipwrecked, all of those people being lied to. I pray that they would come back to the truth. God, I desire for people to know you, to be saved by you. And let that be the desire of all of our hearts.
as we go forward. Thank you that we get to baptize these people, Lord. I pray you would protect them and keep them and that your face would shine upon them and you would walk with them all the days of their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.